If you don't know me, my name is Michael Vernon, and I serve alongside my wife, overseeing small groups here at Harvest Decatur. This is our fifth message in the Elder-Led Series, Commissioned. Today, we're taking a closer look at Acts 16, specifically verses 11 through 24. Interesting enough, I have entitled this message, Led by the Spirit. Personally, I'm not a history buff of any kind, but the book of Acts is fascinating with history. I have thoroughly enjoyed my time in preparation today. However, it is humbling and somewhat terrifying to communicate God's truth. There is a weight like no other standing before you all, communicating something that is so absolute truth and relevant, created by someone so powerful and all-knowing, yet presented by someone who is so weak in comparison and flawed. You have to ask yourself the question, why did God choose me? On the flip side of that question, God did choose me. And I humbly, I'm humbly blessed that he did and desire to be obedient. So let's get into the text. Like I said, I've entitled this Led by the Spirit. The reason for this title is you can readily see how the Holy Spirit is working through the course of this text. And the leading of the Holy Spirit is the one theme that I want you to see. As I began my preparation, I was given some dear some advice from a dear friend of mine just last week, a great preacher, teacher, dear friend, a son, and he encouraged me to just hammer one nail. And being a person who has experience with construction and home building, I get that analogy and I agree. So this morning, I wanted you to see five ways the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, is leading in this passage. Let's start with me. I have prayed, continue to pray that God will use the Holy Spirit in my life to communicate to you all. The Holy Spirit has taught me through this text. The Holy Spirit is given to every believer, and we see that in Scripture. Specifically, John 14, verses 15 through 26 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world, we will see, you will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, and you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how it is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And We will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the 
fathers who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I've said. Wow, what, a, what an amazing promise we have. So I want you to see this morning at least five ways the Holy Spirit is leading in this text. And we will revisit those as we go through it. But here they are. The Holy Spirit leads us in our time in the Word. The Holy Spirit leads giving direction. The Holy Spirit gives words to say. The Holy Spirit gives ears to hear. And the Holy Spirit gives evidence of salvation. And there is a sixth point, which we'll get to later. But right now, let's, let's just pause and ask God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to lead us and teach us this morning. Pray with me. Almighty God, I, I understand the um, emotion that my brother felt. It's your spirit works in us in ways that um, sometimes we don't understand. Father, I do pray that you would just allow the Holy Spirit to work in every believer here this morning, particularly me, as I have studied and I have this text in front of me, this script, as I deliver it, Father, may it be given in a way that would please you. Empower me through the power of the Holy Spirit only as you know how and as only as you can. Father, my, my, my brothers and sisters who are here listening, I just pray that you would help them to understand and to catch the words that I'm saying. And, and if there's something that is spoken that doesn't make, quite make sense, just give them understanding and give them the ability to apply these truths to you, to their lives. Mature us, Almighty God, in a way that we would bring you honor and glory with our lives, our time, the moments, opportunities that you bring through us throughout the week. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. When I read a passage, when I read a passage, my mind starts to... Uh, ask all kinds of questions. And there was a point in my life when I kind of squelched that kind of thinking. It was in my immaturity that I thought you're not supposed to question God's Word. And it wasn't until my late 30s that I realized that was an unhealthy way to study God's Word. I was challenged by godly preachers who would say things like, don't take my word for it, study it for yourself. So I challenge you this morning, don't take my word for it. Study it for yourself. Make it your own. And if you're struggling in a time in the Word, if you read a passage and don't receive any kind of inspiration or challenge, I challenge you to start questioning. Not as in a sense of doubt, but looking for answers. Trust me, it's, it's not only rewarding, but it's fun. And I have to agree, I have to say that there is a downside. Uh, you can get bogged down with rabbit trails, and details. And I confess there are times when I spend a better time, better part of a year in one book, reading, rereading. And I have to admit that there's been times I felt guilty about that. 
You know, you, you go to small group and they ask you these questions, you know. You know, what, what are you studying in God's Word? And my answer is always the same. I'm in the book of Mark. Finally, I, I got over myself and I realized that it is not how much of the Bible you read in a year, a month, a week, or a day. Are you learning? Are you maturing? Is God equipping you for each day? That means more to me than if I read the Bible through the year kind of thinking. And don't misunderstand. Reading the Bible through the year goal is admirable and good. And if that's what God is using in your life to equip you, press on. However, I have said it, heard it said that many believers that their time in the Word is mostly a thing to do, a checklist, if you will. And if that is you, I challenge you to start thinking of questions and then dig in for the answers. Take your time. Don't hurry. Meditate on what you've learned and how it should impact your day-to-day life. As we go into this text before us today, there are plenty of questions. My brother Steve just read through that passage, but the the first two verses there, it says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from, from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained there Remain there in the city some days. My first question is, how did we get here? Now bear with me. These questions will lead us to a backstory that brings value and relevance as we look at the passage before us. And so where do we find these answers? And so let's just go to the beginning of the, the chapter and we'll find some clues, starting with verse 1. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. They went through the region of Pergia, Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia who was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul had seen the vision. Immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Wow. There's great information. Now I know how we got to Macedonia. But look at all the other unknowns. There's Timothy. Why the circumcision? The observance of the decisions in verse 4, forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Not once, but twice. A vision. Did you know in the book of Acts, this is the first time the author uses the word we? So somehow, somewhere along the line, Luke joined this team. 
I wish we had time to talk about all these questions, but I was given a task, a particular passage, and it would be wrong for me to go rogue and do my own thing. So I'm just briefly going to give you a backstory, which starts back in chapter 15. We see Paul at the end of his first missionary journey. Paul faced opposition, resulting in being stoned and left for dead. However, that did not stop Paul. He and Barnabas continued on to Antioch. There was a group of men who came to Antioch from Judea, preaching you had to be circumcised to be saved. And the scripture says, no little dissension and debate arose. Verse 2, chapter 15. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to apostles and the elders about this question. And you can read all about that in chapter 15. At the end of chapter 15, we see the separation of Paul and Barnabas and how God allowed the disagreement between uh, godly men to go from one team of men spreading the gospel to two teams. And after a period of time, Paul and Silas picked up Timothy and headed back to report the decision of the elders, while Barnabas and Mark set sail to Cyprus. Brings us up to chapter 16. And as you look at verses 1 through 5, it seems things are going quite well for Paul. They hooked up with Timothy. They brought him into the team. They were delivering the message from the elders and the apostles. And the churches were being strengthened and growing in number. But things changed quickly. The Holy Spirit forbid them to preach in Asia. And the Holy Spirit forbid them to go a certain direction. Not once, but twice. And they went through the region of Persia and Galatia, having been forbidden by this Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So Paul went another direction. So Paul, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. As I said earlier, the big picture of what I want us to capture this morning is how the Holy Spirit is working. In these passages, we get a glimpse of some of the ways the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is working. Even in my own life, if I have studied the words, the Holy Spirit has directed me. And I believe that is true of all of us. If your time in the Word, if you will ask the Holy Spirit to teach you, He will lead you. So if you haven't already, write this down as point one in your notes. The Holy Spirit leads us as we study God's Word. Your second point this morning is the Holy Spirit leads us giving direction. I'm reminded uh, when Brett gave his report for his missionary journey to Cuba a couple weeks back. And if I get the story correct, he talked about a young man named Yospel, who should have been at work, but due to circumstances, was present hearing the plan of salvation. How many times has you set out to do something and due to circumstances did not do it? And sometimes later, you might find out that 
if you had continued down that path, you might have been in a serious situation or even a harmful situation. I believe the Holy Spirit works through circumstances to fulfill his purposes and will. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you. He resides in your soul. In my own account, in my young man's life, just out of high school, I was determined to live the way of my life the way I wanted. And about a week out of high school, I moved out on my own. Didn't discuss it with my parents, just did it. It was a surprise to them, and I became a major concern to my parents and my church. I was a believer, but was very self-absorbed. My church started praying for me. My mom was praying, was a prayer warrior, and very determined. And I have to admit, that was one of the worst experiences I can remember. I was doing all the things that I thought would bring me so much fun, but I was miserable. Three months later, I was attending Calvary Bible College. The Holy Spirit directed me, and even though I did not want to hear it at first, I was given ears to hear and heeded his direction. Romans 8, verses 8 and 9, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God indwells you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. My story is not only speaks of the power of the Holy Spirit, but gives evidence that He is working. Another account in my life is when Shelley and I met. And uh, how we were brought together was certainly a work of the Holy Spirit. We both attended a Bible camp in Wisconsin. She came from Wisconsin, originally from Minnesota, me from Illinois. Met in June, fell for each other, was married in October of the same year, and will celebrate 49 years in October. Church, there is numerous stories out there where the Holy Spirit's leading, and I would love to hear how God has directed you through the Holy Spirit. Your story could be similar, or it could be something totally different. Actually, this coming Tuesday, we're having a small group in my house, and you're all welcome. And you'll have an opportunity to uh, tell a story of how the Holy Spirit is leading you. Pastor Ryan has agreed to lead the large group, and I look forward to seeing each and every one of you there. Paul was prohibited by the Holy Spirit to travel to Mysia and Bithynia. The text says he passed by Mysia and went to Troas. Then Paul saw a vision to go to Macedonia. Paul then immediately headed to Macedonia, where he remained for several days. Macedonia is a territory commonly called Greece. The gospel of Jesus Christ is now moving to Europe. On this next slide, I hope you can see it. So setting sail from Troas, we made a voyage to Samothrace. It's a little island above the top part of the map. And the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in the city some days. Philippi was an important area. Much traffic, trade, and military 
one of the Roman accomplishments was a highway called Via Ignatia Highway, built around 145 B.C. It was a military road which gave the Romans access to the east. It ran, a, ran from the western coast of Macedonia to the Adriatic Sea, clear across Macedonia to the Aegean Sea, and then right across the top area where it went through Philippi. It was an area where much travel and trade took place. Notice in verse 12, the writer says, he uses the word Roman colony. And the book of Acts is the only city referred to as a colony. So what is a Roman colony? Colonies were allowed three things. Self-government, they didn't pay tribute to the emperor, and thirdly, they had Roman citizenship. At this point, Paul and his team had traveled close to a 1,000 miles. In Philippi, Paul meets two women. These two women that are pointed out in scriptures are opposites. They also represent all women and men, for that matter. We fit, all fit in these two categories. One of these two women is godly and knows Jesus Christ. The other is satanic and does not know Jesus. So Paul and Silas land in a piece of Rome and it says they remained in the city some days. It doesn't appear Paul was preaching or anything. He was probably waiting for the Sabbath. Verse 13 says, On the Sabbath day he went outside the gate to the riverside, where we suppose there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Paul started his ministry with the Jews first and then the Gentiles. If Paul had started his ministry with the Gentiles, the Jews would never take him. Also, by starting with the Jews, that would give him a place to speak. Another reason, if Paul could win the Jews for Christ, they could in turn help evangelize the Gentiles. So his custom was to go to the synagogue. However, in Philippi, there was no synagogue. It took ten men to make a synagogue. And what we see in the text here, there was not ten men. There was not any men. And from history, we see much of the spreading of the gospel started by women. Just look at the history of the missionaries and the influence women have made. God does not see male or female. There is equality in the sight of God. On the Sabbath day, Luke says, he went out of the city by the riverside. These are exiled Jews with no men, no synagogue, no one to lead them, no one to teach them, but they are faithful, and they continue to meet and pray. If you remember, we recall George and Derry had a similar report when their last missionary trip to Turkey, where they experienced a group of women meeting and no men to lead them. In this culture, in Acts, Men dominated women, and women were considered slaves. And here we meet Lydia. Lydia was from Asia Minor, from Thyatira. Thyatira was famous for purple dye. In one of Homer's writings, he says, the art of the women in Thyatira and the art and the area is the art of dyeing with purple. And no surprise, Lydia was a seller of purple fabrics, and the selling of purple fabrics was a profitable business. They used two kinds of dyes. One was for the rich people of the day, 
and most of the purple stuff was for royalty. And to get that dye, they would extract murex from shellfish. And a couple of years ago, um, on Google, I found this report where a man worked from a hut in his garden to process this murex from snails using a technique that was first developed, and he produced a dye known as Tyrian purple that sells for about $2,500 a gram. And you can search the internet yourself. There's plenty of videos even of how this process takes place, and there's reports up to $3,000 a gram. This dye today, if not the most expensive, is one of the most expensive dyes. The second way they died was from the extraction of matter root, and this dye was the commoner's dye. Lydia was the one God had in mind directing Paul. Traveling close to a thousand miles, he prevented on two occasions to go another way. God led Paul to Lydia. Here in Philippi, God opened her heart and ears to accept Christ. Obviously, as we can see, Lydia was an enterprising woman. And as we look a closer look at it, Lydia, we see that she was a God-fearing woman. She had obviously turned from the Greek God culture and somehow turned to the true God. She was a Gentile who turned to the God of Israel. And we know that God was doing a work in her heart. We can see that from Romans chapter 3, verses 10, where it says, None is righteous, no one one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So we see God has started a work in Lydia. She was seeking God and had plugged into Judaism. The gospel of Jesus had been signed, sealed, delivered, but she did not know the gospel of Jesus. She did not understand that we are separated from God, that in our sin we come short of the glory of God, that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was the only way to have a relationship with God, that accepting Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, our sin debt, a debt we have no ability to pay, that gives us hope. Hope that brings us into relationship with God and victory over the curse of death. We have a hope of heaven, a hope that I pray is present in each of us here today. Back to the text. Verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The God opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. This gives evidence that God will seek after those who truly seek after him. God brought Paul all this way to tell Lydia about Jesus. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Lydia also must have been a woman of influence because not only her, but her household as well. And as we read the rest of the chapter, we see Lydia and her household becoming the beginning of the church in Philippi. We see that in verse 40. It says, So they went out, on the, out of the prison and visit, visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. 
Lydia becomes the first documented convert of Paul's in Europe. Just a side note, we have to glean that Lydia's house was big enough to accommodate the missionary team and the emerging church. So it kind of gives evidence to the Lydia's wealth. So that, that brings us back to our five points on the Holy Spirit. As I've already mentioned, the Holy Spirit leads us in our time and word. I have experienced that. I believe you have as well. The Holy Spirit leads us giving direction. I'm sure if we think about the way we came to know Christ, we would have acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit and how he's worked. The Holy Spirit gives us words to say. Many times I've experienced God using me, giving me words that, that bring glory to him and testify to his name, just as Paul did with Lydia. The Holy Spirit gives ears to hear. Lydia heard. If you're seeking God's will, he will give you ears to hear. He might even bring someone a thousand miles away. The Holy Spirit gives evidence of salvation. The Holy Spirit resides in every believer that gives testimony to Jesus Christ. Lydia said, if you have judged me to be faithful, come to my house. Her hospitality, her insistence that they not only come but stay, give evidence of the Spirit of God, of God working in, in her as a believer. In verses 14 to 15, we see three sequential aspects of Lydia's salvation. Lydia was a worshiper of God. Lydia was not only seeking, but listening. Lydia's heart was opened. As we continue to the text, we have another person to meet in verse 16. And as we were going to a place, the, power, the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl, one who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So Paul and his team were going to this place of prayer, and this girl here is a slave. We don't have her name. She had a spirit of divination. On Paul's second missionary journey, the slave girl and Lydia are the first two people that we meet personally. And as I stated earlier, these two women represent everyone. We all fit in these two categories. Either we are in Christ or we have of Satan. The enslaved woman have a spirit of divination. Now, I, I have to confess, I don't know Greek, but my resources agree that the, spirit, the Greek for the spirit of divination is python, a python spirit. Well, what is a python spirit? After research, I find that in Greek mythology, and this is all mythology, there is a place called Pytho. Pytho was at the foot of Mount Parnassus. At Pytho, there was a dragon. The dragon carded, guarded Pytho in the area. The dragon's name was Python. The dragons guarded the oracles of Delphi. Delphi was a place where the oracles were given. The oracle was a place where medians consult demons, or it was a revelation that demons give. And there's more to that mythology, but you get the idea. The people in the world of that day believed that the gods were alive. They believed in Apollo, and Apollo spoke through the oracles of Delphi. So the term Delphi means any kind of medium contact with the god Apollo. So we must consider this girl was one of the priestesses from Delphi who were called pythons. Personally, I find that confusing. 
But people would consult the girl and think God Apollo was giving them information. And the reality is this was from Satan and his demons. Here's this girl, and she's an instrument of Satan. This girl was doing what ladies do today, telling fortunes and making a profit. Paul had just began preaching the gospel, and here came Satan, much like in his first missionary journey in Cyprus where the magician in Acts 13. Personally, I had a hard time imagining of anyone that I know would do anything like this. But the truth is, if you do not know Jesus Christ, according to the words of Christ, you are of the Father, the devil. The only question is, how is it demonstrated? It's the same hell that all of these will occupy. It's the same Satan behind them, and there is no freedom apart from Christ. The girl was a slave, and so is every man and woman who does not know Christ. Verse 17 says, She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. This young woman kept following Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, crying out, probably yelling at the top of her voice, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim you the way of salvation. You have to ask yourself, isn't she speaking truth? So what is Satan doing speaking truth? Quite frankly, he does it all the time. 1 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Satan and his demons will do anything they need to say. And that's what's so diabolical about cults. So much of what they say is truth, just enough to deceive you. So much could be said here about how Satan works. But we need to, what we need to recognize is Satan isn't stupid. And we, he will use any means to deceive us from the truth about Jesus Christ. She used the term the Most High God, which was a term that Gentiles would understand. It's also a term that Jews would use. So it's including both audiences. Christ never wants publicity for Satan. And Christ does not need Satan's publicity. So Paul, after several days of this, Paul gets annoyed. I have, I have to grin. I, I read this and I kind of think of myself, I get annoyed and people annoy me. I get annoyed by drivers who are clueless of their surroundings and do things that bring traffic to a crawl or stop. That's not the kind of annoyance Paul is talking about here. Paul doesn't get to zap them just because he's annoyed. That's what I want to do. You see, my annoyance is self-serving and sometimes sinful. Paul was grieved. Probably grieved for the young woman. Paul was grieved that Satan was working for the, uh, and attacking the work for Christ. Paul turned to the Spirit and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the Spirit left the girl within the hour. And this is all the text says about what happened to the girl. We don't know anything more. 
But I would have to agree with some of the men who've guided me through this text that if she had become a believer, it probably would have said so. In verses 19 to 24, we see the aftermath of Paul's exorcism of the Spirit. Verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs, customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them out into prison, ordering, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Interesting enough, only Paul and Silas go to prison. So where's Timothy and Luke? We don't know. Paul and Silas are charged and drugged into the marketplace and put into prison. And that's where we're going to leave Paul and Silas today. Ryan is preaching next Sunday on Paul and the jailers, so you need to be here. And we'll find out more then. But that brings us back to our last point in this text. The Holy Spirit is not granted or guaranteed to everyone. The Holy Spirit leads us in our time in the Word. The Holy Spirit leads giving direction. The Holy Spirit gives words to say. The Holy Spirit gives ears to hear. The Holy Spirit gives evidence of salvation. The Holy Spirit is not granted or guaranteed to everyone. Church, one last thought before I close. All through Acts, we see Almighty God leading men through the power of the Holy Spirit. Men and women standing for Christ. Paul faced unusual hardships. He was stoned, left for dead, beaten, put in prison, all for the sake of Jesus Christ. I do not see fear as a deterrent for speaking for Christ. And there are times you see Paul silent. And there are, we can learn from those experiences, but not from fear. I know we have all been fearful at times. And sometimes not sure what to say. Thinking the timing's not right, etc. There's a thousand different things we think of. But my encouragement to you, if God is prompting you to speak for him, do not be afraid. Trust the Holy Spirit to give you words to speak, and in turn, he will give ears to hear and hearts to receive. Be faithful. Church, if you have, by faith, accepted Jesus Christ for your payment of sin, if you have confessed him as Lord of your life and received his plan for your salvation, if you confess him before men, the scripture tells us in John, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. If you've repented of sin, God is faithful to forgive and see you as cleansed from all unrighteousness. Wow, that's, that's, that's hard for me to understand sometimes how God would love me so much and use me. And I've said it many times and continue to see it. The older I get, the more keenly aware I am of my sin. If you have never 
allow Jesus to infiltrate your life and save you. I ask you to do it today. I'll be glad to meet anyone here this morning and talk and pray about that decision. Our elders will also be here for you this morning. If you are struggling, if God is pulling on you to come, I invite you to seek us out. Our worship team is going to be coming to us and leading us in a closing song. The song Waymaker gives testimony to the song, God is Always Working. And I want to leave you with that encouragement today. If you would, pray with me. Thank you, Father, for this text. Thank you for what you're teaching us. I thank you for these men and women who have gone before us and the lessons that we can learn from them. Father, as we hear your truths and we're encouraged, I pray that you will use these truths in our lives. Teach us, motivate us, encourage us. Give us the strength that we need through the power of the Holy Spirit to speak for Christ, that our lives would be obedient to your call, and that we would bring you honor and glory with the opportunities and the time that you've given to us. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.